friend. How are you? Welcome back to the Out of the Cave podcast with Lisa Schlossberg. This is me, Lisa Schlossberg, and we are, if you're following along, we are officially back in the United States <laughs> after 11 days in Italy, which was absolutely divine. So it is a bittersweet moment here to resettle into real life. But part of the sweetness is that I get to be here with you using my voice, speaking the truth. If you are new to the Out of the Cave podcast, welcome. This podcast is really inspired to help you heal your relationship with yourself, your body, your relationship with food, etc. That's what we're doing here. And if you have been following along, you know you are already familiar with Timba, the trauma-informed mind-body approach to holistic health and healing. That is really the backbone of all the work that I do. So welcome everyone thank you for being here thank you for coming back today i am going to continue the conversation on love and fear specifically as it relates to our relationship with food and ultimately i think this is the conversation the love and fear conversation um that really helps bridge the gap between the relationship we have with food and how it is really a mirror, really a reflection of the relationship we have with ourselves. Um, so that is uh, what we're going to be doing today. <laughs> so today there's a few kind of just important points because I think as is probably clear to you listening to all of this, uh, the love and fear conversation is extremely nuanced. And it's really not black and white. It's really not cut and dry, so to speak. Um, and so today I want to get into more of the, mm, just clarifying some of the things that I see come up, some of the frequently asked questions around love and fear, if you will. Um, but before I get into that, I wanted to just share a small anecdote uh, from my own experience. This happened yesterday. And I was thinking about you guys and how, uh, you know, I feel in a lot of ways like I'm I'm living everything that I talk about and teach. So I, spending 11 days in Italy, um, if you are following me on Instagram, you saw a lot of, a lot of delicious food and wine. Um, and I was in a place of just really being extremely present with a lot of what I was eating. Um, I had a chocolate croissant for breakfast most mornings that I was there, along with a cappuccino, of course, or two. Um, I had pizza and pasta and steak and so just such delicious, delicious food. And um, as I posted on Instagram, again, you may have already seen and heard this, but I was so grateful uh, for the incredible amount of work that I've done on my relationship with food, literally in all of the ways that I am teaching you through this podcast, um, so that I could be so present and enjoying the, the pleasure, the pleasure of the food, right? It's not to say that food is not pleasurable or enjoyable or rewarding or emotional. It is. Um, and it was delicious and amazing. But the reason that I'm telling you this is because, well, I think that's important, but but also because <laughs> while I was in Italy, my body was certainly feeling uh, the result of like a complete lack of vegetables and like a complete lack of um, 
just self-care around food because for me, I was pretty dedicated to just like YOLOing my way through that trip. Like you only live once and when in Italy, you eat like the Italians and it was so not a time for me to be thinking about, uh, you know, restricting anything or eliminating anything or or calories or any of that stuff that just doesn't go through my head anymore. Again, thank God. But I was also really aware of how not good it felt um, to not be quote unquote taking care of my body around food and eating and nutrition and what I was feeding myself. Um, I won't go into the details of what was going on in my digestive system. You don't need to know all that. But but I say that because, A, it was really, you know, I was very aware of it. I feel very embodied in my body enough to actually uh, be able to feel the consequences of what I put inside of it. But again, the reason that I'm telling you this is because of how that... What happened yesterday for me? So yesterday uh, was my first full day back in the United States, back in San Diego. And um, I was in no rush to uh, necessarily work out or get back to the gym or anything like that. Uh, but it did, it did feel really good to move yesterday. Um, and after I kind of took a walk, I did some yoga I was kind of easing my way back into movement and I there's a sauna in my gym and I've become such a sauna person and I haven't obviously been in the sauna for the last two uh, week and a half two weeks or so and so when I got back I walked into the sauna and I had this thought now this is why I'm telling you this five minutes into my story classic um, that I had this thought go through my head that was let the detox begin. And the reason that I'm telling you this is because this is an important example about love and fear, where as I had that thought, let the detox begin, there were all these other thoughts that came through my head immediately that were, you know, you don't need a detox. Don't think about detoxing. Now that's a diet. You automatically are coming from a place of fear. If you're even using the word detox, your liver is your detox. La 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 la. All of the things that were like, no, don't think that thought. Don't have that feeling. Do not, do not. And I just was really aware of all of this going on in my head. But again, the reason that I'm sharing this with you is because while Certainly, something like a detox um, could be considered or for other people have been experienced from a place of fear, right? I have to get, quote unquote, back on track. Um, Something bad will happen, right? The energy is sometimes that something bad will happen if I don't um, or that we've, quote unquote, done so much damage over vacation or something that we now have to like retaliate Um, and And the reason that I'm sharing this is, again, because I was mindful of all of the stories and all of the fear around that, but I came back to the truth of the moment for me, my honest, authentic experience. That was when I say to myself, quote unquote, let the detox begin, which honestly was not even a conscious thought. It was just kind of um, the feeling in the moment. It felt like a relief 
to me. It was like, oh, the exhale, the breath of fresh air that is, ah, I get back to taking care of myself. I get back to being mindful about, you know, how the food I put into my body is going to make me feel. And I felt, felt sense in my body, a sense of safety that is, yeah, it is going to feel good to get into the sauna and sweat a little bit. It is going to feel good to not (laughs) drink a bottle of wine every day. It is going to feel good to actually get sleep on a regular schedule again. It is going to feel good to get back into a bit of a routine. It's just all of those things. That is, it is going to feel like safety to start really being, again, mindful and intentional and deliberate about how the things I am doing with my body make me feel. And there was such an element of safety in that. And so, again, sharing this because it, to me, is such an example of love and fear where someone could judge something like the statement, let the detox begin through their own projection, right, through their own fear, through their own experience of that must mean you're putting yourself on a diet and that you're coming from a place of fear. But really what it felt to me at the, in the moment was ah, coming back to actually taking care of myself. Like that feels good. That feels grounded. That feels like safety. And to me, that is what it feels like when you're coming from a place of love. So I hope all of that made sense. And thank you for listening to my little story. Now. The first thing that I want to say about love and fear for this episode, other than my own anecdote, is that when we are talking about our relationship with food here at Out of the Cave with me, Lisa Schlossberg, um, I think it's really important to clarify something. And I've been thinking a lot about this in general, about uh, all the work I do, about my group program and curriculum, about all, all, all of it. And I want to clarify this really not just for this episode about love and fear, but in general, if you are here listening to this podcast and what I'm saying resonates with you, that is, I almost want to shine the light on the fact that here, this is something you may have heard me say before, we're using the relationship with food or the relationship you have with food as the mechanism through which you learn how to reparent yourself. So I'm going to repeat that one more time because it's it's a lot. We are using your relationship with food as the mechanism through which you learn how to reparent yourself. So the reason I want to unpack that for a moment, and this will come back to love and fear, is because it's not necessarily about, quote unquote, healing your relationship with food. It is that. It is that. And I stand by that. But I think even in this conversation, when we're saying things like, the goal or the intention is to heal the relationship with food, it's still coming from that place of wanting it to be done, wanting it to be over, wanting it to be finished. And even though I do think that a lot of this is about healing your relationship with food, um, it's it's an important thing to clarify again, because if we're coming from the place of, I want to heal this so it's done, 
I want to heal this so I no longer have to deal with it. I want this to be over so I can move on from it. In some ways, even that starts to feel like the energy of fear. It's trying to get out of it and trying to be done with it, right? And we can go back to what Nicole Sachs reminds us all the time around chronic pain. Wishing your experience to be any different than it is immediately triggers a sense of danger to the brain. So if we're, if we're coming at this with, I want to heal already so I can be done, um, even that is not really to me what this is about. So having said that, if we're using the relationship that you have with food as the mechanism through which you learn how to reparent yourself, well, that flips it a little bit because it's not necessarily about healing your relationship with food. It's about learning how to reparent yourself through and with your relationship with food, which means it's different, right? You're not doing it from a place of trying to be done and over and finished. You're doing it from a place of actually um, continuing, right? You're doing it from a place of trying to learn and do better. And so I say that because it has to, um, in order for this all to be absorbed from a place and an energy of love, I think it needs to be really clear that we need to be coming from a place not of trying to be done, but of really opening up the conversation and understanding that this is the beginning of the conversation. This is not the end. It's not to be done. It is to be connected. And so instead of thinking about how to get yourself to be, you know, over, the issues with food that you have, it's really an invitation to say all of this work is to say, how do you actually get into it? How do you explore it? How do we understand it? How do we, instead of, right, fear is turning away, love is turning toward. And so all of this stuff, even though it's scary, even though it's uncomfortable, all of those things, valid, it's really about taking this conversation and understanding that all of this is to turn toward yourself, toward your struggle with food, toward your issues with body image, toward all of the things that are causing you that internal conflict and discomfort. All of this, the mechanism through which you learn how to reparent yourself is about saying, wow, how do I actually look at and take care of it rather than try to be done with it? That again is an example of coming from a place of love, not fear, even though what we're doing is the same. Now, having said all that, if you have not yet listened to the, not the episode before this with Heather, the one right before that, where we initiate the conversation on love and fear, I would start there just because this is really a continuation of that. But um, I say that because in, in that episode, I gave a handful of different examples about how it's not about what you're doing. It's really about the energy with which you're doing it, right? So the classic examples in my work of eating a salad, you could eat a salad from a place of love because it's going to serve you and it's it's a quote unquote good, healthy, real, natural food for you um, that's going to, again, serve you nutritionally and energetically. Or you could be eating the same exact salad from a place of fear because you don't like what you look like, for example, and you feel like you need to be smaller in order to feel safe, all of those things. So the, the example around salad, around cardio, around meal prep, around coffee, around any of those things 
um, is, is that it's, it's the energy with which you're doing it that is really important. And so again, if that, if that's new, just go back to that episode and then come back here. But I want to clarify a few things that come up in this conversation about love and fear. And I want to first just start by telling you that when I was losing weight and I was dieting and I was moving through it in a very extreme and rapid way, as you probably are already familiar with, um, I didn't eat pizza for about a year and a half. There are a lot of things I didn't eat, but the reason that pizza sticks out to me is because it's it's probably my favorite food. Um, and so I went a really long time without it. And the important thing about this story, I think, is kind of what I was saying in the last episode about love and fear, about you have so much power in your conscious input. And so what I mean by that is, and again, using myself as an example, when I was going through my diet and my weight loss and... I perceived pizza as something that was bad or wrong or not allowed or something that I shouldn't eat. The thoughts that I was telling myself consciously, I can't have that. I shouldn't have that. That would be bad. That would be wrong. Created my reality so that Right? Because your brain, again, your animal brain, your primitive brain, doesn't know the difference between stressors. All of my conscious input about what pizza was taught my animal brain that pizza was not safe. And so it's not, again, the pizza that did anything. It was my perception of the pizza. It was my framing of the pizza. And it was what I told myself about the pizza. And so the reason I'm telling you this is because then... I remember after a year and a half or two years or so, the day I decided that I was going to eat pizza. And so it was a whole thing. We made a whole thing of it. And my mom and I went into Brooklyn and got, um, I don't remember at the moment, (laughs) it was some like really famous pizza spot in Brooklyn because it was a big deal that I was eating pizza again. And What I remember about that experience was, you know, now I'm at basically my my lowest weight. I have lost about 150 pounds. And what I remember about it was, and this was very often, not just around uh, pizza for me, but around a lot of things, um, that the feeling I had in my body was that if I ate this food, if I had a slice of pizza, that I would immediately and inevitably wake up in the morning to a 300 pound body again. So just to give you that kind of context, that is there was an absolute conviction in my mind body system that if I had this food, I would wake up at twice the size. And that's what was going on emotionally. There was also a part of me that knew logically that was not possible and that's not how it worked but very often and any of you that are listening to this that have ever felt a fear of food you know that the logic and the reasoning is is really weak in comparison it's like it doesn't really matter if you know that that's true you know scientifically speaking um the fear is the fear is the fear is the fear and my god it was so scary and so 
breaking the pizza fast um, was not a celebration for me. I mean, it, it, you know, it was because, yeah, I was excited about it and I knew that oh, this was this was a food I really missed. But so much of that was over overpowered and just overshadowed by uh, the sheer terror of having to put myself through that experience where it felt again like the slice of pizza was a saber-toothed tiger um, and so that's kind of part of that context but the reason that I'm sharing this is because then when I went to go eat the pizza and even though it was absolutely terrifying, and honestly, I think I dissociated for most of the experience because of how scary it was, um, I still consider this an act of love. And I want to clarify what I mean by coming from a place of love versus coming from a place of fear. And I think the pizza fast, or breaking the pizza fast rather, is a really good example of that. Because coming from a place of love is very often outside of your comfort zone. When you're acting from love, it is actually very often something that's going to feel scary. So I want to clarify that there's a difference between the feeling of fear, let's say. So in the moment, I was feeling fear, certainly. But the intention of love. So there's the feeling of fear, and the intention of fear, let's say. So again, if you think about any time you did something scary for yourself, maybe you tried out for something or auditioned for something or asked someone on a date or just put yourself out there in a way that is vulnerable, right? The feeling of it is scary, but the intention of it, so that with the feeling of it is fear, right? In the moment, but the intention of it is love is I want to see if I can do this thing. I want to get out of my comfort zone. And ultimately what we're talking about is I want to expand my life. I want my life to be bigger, not I want my life to be smaller. And so that's a really important clarification as we talk about all of these things. And so I think about there's the expansive and growth-oriented kind of fear. And then there's the contractive and kind of destruction oriented fear and Heather the client you heard last week brought it up to me in our time working together about are you running toward or are you running from are you running toward something that you want right asking someone on a date good example trying out for you know auditioning for something good example right you're running toward something you want to grow you want to evolve and that's very often going to be scary in the moment. But then there's a different fear. And that other fear is running from. Are you closing yourself off? Are you saying no to opportunity? Are you keeping yourself, as Nicole would say, Nicole Sachs would say, safe in the unsafest way, right? Are you, are you just kind of closing yourself in and operating from that kind of fear? Because those are different. And so it's important to know that just because you feel fear in the moment does not mean that you are quote unquote coming from a place of fear or acting from a place of fear. And it's very safe. It is safe and healthy and appropriate and valid for you to sometimes make a decision that will scare you in the moment because you know it's where you want to go. 
and this is very, very, very applicable in our relationship with food, if you're in a place where you are scared of food, right? If you're in a place like I was, where it feels like pizza is a saber-toothed tiger. To me, it was also cheeseburgers. That was just another huge example of something that I remember looking at the cheeseburger on the plate, and I was amazed at how absolutely terrified my mind-body system was because I was looking at a burger, but my brain was convinced I was almost in life-threatening danger. And so for me to do something like eat pizza or eat a burger or eat frozen yogurt, that was another big example for me in college, especially um, in the moment it was scary. But what I'm saying to you is that we have the capacity to say, wow, this is really scary and this is really hard and this is so uncomfortable and I can do it. I can do it. And if you are, this is now kind of a little bit cliche, right? But if you know your why, why are you doing it, right? And for me at a certain point, it was why am I doing something like eating pizza? Why am I putting myself through the torture of that fear and that terror? Well, because if I don't do it today, and this is something that was just, again, really helpful for me to remember. If I don't do it today, I'm going to wake up with this fear tomorrow. And if I don't do this this week, I'm going to wake up with this fear next week. If I don't do it this month, I'm going to wake up with this fear next month. If I don't do it this year, I'm going to wake up with this fear next year. If I don't do it this decade, I will live the next decade in fear around food that I want to eat. And I just kept having that reminder in my head that was, yes, it is scary. It is scary. And it is hard because of the conscious input that I have been putting into my experience around these foods for the last year or two years. And so what I can do, what I can do about that is I can't make it less scary. I can't just convince my brain that, oh, please, it's just a piece of pizza, right? The way that a lot of people in my life were trying to. But what I could do was say, wow, how scary is this? I can do it anyway. Because I know on the other side of fear is freedom. I know that on the other side of fear is liberation. On the other side of this fear is peace. And that's exactly what happened. And it's occurring to me right now that, you know, I started this whole thing by talking about being in Italy and eating pizza without even thinking about it. And I... <laughs> I want you to know how possible it is. I want you to know how possible it is to really truly embody freedom and peace and safety. But I also want you to know that it might be really scary and it might be really hard to actually get there. And again, that's why it's so important for me to clarify that it's not about being done with this. It's about saying, all right, how do I show up for this? How do I use my power to actually heal this? And it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. But it's not about being fearless. It's about being brave. It's not about having a lack of fear. It's about being courageous. It's about bravery. And it's about the strength that you actually have and the capacity that you have to say, I'm going to go through this really scary thing so that I can get there, so I can be there, 
in that place of freedom that you desire if that's what you desire the way that I did. So in a lot of ways, what I'm talking to you about here, and again, anyone who's been through the group program, maybe we've talked about this already, is this is exposure therapy. In a lot of ways, this is exposure therapy. And from a a clinical mental health perspective, what I want to say is that uh, I'll explain what exposure therapy is first. So exposure therapy is literally um, exposing yourself to the thing that you have anxiety of or uh, fear about. So instead of not doing the thing, uh, you go and do the thing. That's exposure therapy. And so uh, I have a friend who... Uh, as a kid actually so you would never know this about them now they're at at this day and age very uh, outgoing and um, almost outspoken just like really comfortable in social situations as as they appear anyway Um, but as a kid you know I remember saying that to her recently and um she was like wow that's so crazy that you say that because as a kid I had so much social anxiety that she told me the story about how her therapist as a kid would take her out to public places like in the mall for example and the therapist would have her Uh, just kind of walk up to random people and ask them like directions to a certain store or what time of day it was or just little things like that and that's an example of exposure therapy so she had a lot of anxiety of being in social situations she has a lot of it she had a lot of anxiety of talking to strangers specifically and so her therapist would go out with her expose her to that exact uh, trigger and and work through it and stay present through it and so she, you know, get, got through to the other side where now that's not something that scares her anymore. And the important thing about it, the reason I'm sharing that is because what's happening there is that you're teaching your brain through the fact that you survive, that it is safe for you to do that thing. So in my example, I was teaching my brain over and over again that despite whatever, uh, you know, my emotions were telling me about fear and cheeseburger, <laughs> about pizza and cheeseburgers and frozen yogurt, um, despite the story I was telling myself, that is, I will wake up at 300 pounds again, um, every single time I did that scary thing, eat the pizza, eat the cheeseburger, eat the frozen yogurt, and then stayed present in my body enough to realize that actually none of that happened and I did survive and it was safe and it was all okay, my brain learned that it was safe. And so that's exactly what she was doing, right, with her therapist in the mall. That is, if there's a conviction that other people are predators, other people are not safe, that I cannot go up and ask this person a question, if that's the conscious input, well, our body's going to respond that way. But we can start to break that pattern by operating outside of that story. So go to the mall and start asking people questions and your brain learns that that's safe. So the reason that I'm saying this is because one of the things that I share in my group program is uh, a video of exposure therapy that I watched when I was getting my master's in social work from NYU. And I remember sitting and just watching this video being exposed to exposure therapy. And for me, I, I've shared this video with uh, probably almost hundreds of people at this point. And 
some people have a really, really hard time watching it because what you're watching is is someone basically move through a panic attack to um, to conquer the fear of riding elevators. And exposure therapy is very often used in phobias, things like that. So an elevator is like a prime example. And so it's really, it, it can be really hard to watch, especially if you're someone who's extremely, uh, you know, empathic and can really feel that kind of anxiety as you're watching it. And um, I remember my experience of seeing it. And I remember thinking this was the most incredible thing I have ever seen. Because coming from you know, at least in my experience, I was coming from that more kind of personal trainer brain where it was like, you know, if discomfort, yeah, you know, let's get into the discomfort. Let's like lift the heavier weight. And for me, exposure therapy, my experience of watching that was, wait, so this is like a legitimate kind of therapy, like literally walking people into their fear so they can come out the other side. That's what exposure therapy is. And it was, the, it was just truly the most miraculous and beautiful thing to me because I knew that that's what I had done with myself. I knew that that's what I wanted to do with other people. And now it was the you know mental, emotional, kind of spiritual way of doing that, not just the physical way of doing that. So again, I share that because from a, from a clinical mental health perspective, we can understand something like quote unquote eating disorders within uh you know under the umbrella of OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder it's it's of it's kind of a, a flavor of that and the leading um approach for healing symptoms of OCD is exposure therapy and so what i'm saying to you is if you're in a place right now where you're aware that you have some, let's call them dysfunctional thoughts, right? Because they're not reflective of reality. So a dysfunctional thought that I had is that if I eat one slice of pizza, I will wake up at 300 pounds. I can tell that that's a dysfunctional thought because my logical brain knows that that absolutely is not the way that it works. And so if you have dysfunctional thought processes that are really just habitual, right, based on your own conscious input, based on the conditioning, based on what you've been taught, whatever it is, if you feel like that's kind of driving the bus in your relationship with food right now, please understand that you have the power, you have the strength, and you have the capacity for you to expose yourself little by little to the thing that scares you. And so if you're in that place, maybe it's food, right? A certain food that scares you. It's not about being fearless. It's about being brave. So eat the thing. Be with your fear and stay present so that your brain knows that you are surviving and that you are safe to eat that thing. And the same is true on the other side, I think. That is, if your fear is of paying attention to what you eat because there's so much fear that it's automatically a diet or whatever the story is in your head. Just know that that's okay. That's okay. And also expose yourself to it. If it means for you just taking a peek at what are you eating? How are you eating? What is the energy with which you're eating? If there's fear around being present in your relationship with food, know that it's okay. And also know that you can expose yourself to it little by little gradually because you can come out the other side. So all of this, all of this, all of this to say that it's possible to heal 
And sometimes, even though you're coming from a place of love, because your intention is freedom, your intention is peace, your intention is power, your intention is to take back that which has been taken from you, either by the diet industry or the anti-diet industry, whatever it is, know that it can sometimes feel scary. It can feel like fear emotionally. But the most important thing is that you know why you're doing what you're doing, right? And if you ask the woman who was having a panic attack, getting into the elevator, you know, you could look at that and say, why are you doing this to yourself? This looks awful. This looks horrible. Why are you putting yourself through this? Well, the reason that she was putting herself through it is because she knew she wanted to be able to live her life riding elevators. She didn't want to have to walk up the stairs every single building she ever walked into in New York City again. And so there's something to be said for, again, not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it. And when you know why you're doing it and there's a bigger purpose and there's a bigger reason and there is growth and freedom and evolution and liberation on the other side of your fear, you can know that you are really coming from a place of love because at the end of the day, you're doing yourself a favor. You are expanding. You are not contracting. Okay, a couple other things I want to clarify about this. And the next is that Again, I know you've kind of heard me say this before, but if you are familiar with the feelings wheel, which at this point you probably are to some degree, <laughs> and if you're not, check the show notes. We'll, we'll keep including the feelings wheel. Big plug for that every time. Um, as I've already said, right, it's not about what you're doing. It's about why you're doing it and the energy with which you're doing it. But just to go back to that salad example, and I'll come back to the feelings wheel in a second, that is if you're eating a salad because you want to lose weight because right and that could be coming from a million different places too it's not that simple that is if you want to lose weight it's coming from a place of fear I don't believe that um, but if you're coming from a place of you're eating a salad because you want to lose weight because you don't like yourself as you are right I'm going to just look at the feelings wheel for a second this is also something I share in my group that is if you're coming from that place well, what that would be in an emotion, what that would be in a feeling, we could call inadequate, right? I'm not, I'm not okay the way that I am. I'm not good enough the way that I am. And that's kind of driving the behavior. So the emotion around that would be inadequate, maybe inferior, sometimes even worthless. Now I'm just reading emotions off the feelings wheel. Um, but the reason that I, again, want to bring this to your attention is because if we're coming, that's kind of the outer portion of the feelings wheel. So what it comes, boils down to is um, a feeling of insecure. And what that comes back to is the feeling of fear. That feeling of fear in the middle of the, in the middle of the feelings wheel. And so part of the reason I'm sharing this is because in the moment, you may not necessarily be feeling fear. You might be aware that there is a story of inadequacy or you might be more uh, familiar with the sense of insecurity, right? Feeling insecure. But a lot of us, I think consciously, will be like, well, yeah, I feel a little bit inadequate. I feel a little bit insecure. But we're not connecting that to fear. But so I want to just bring that to your attention. That is, if you look at the feelings wheel, you will see this visually. And I personally am such a visual learner that you can see the way that inadequate, inferior, become insecure, becomes fear. And so again, just kind of to reiterate 
that when you're in that place of fear, when the intention is fear, I'm not good enough, I have to be different, it's not only unhealthy for your mind-body system, but it's also unsustainable. And you don't have power over that. That's where we don't have power. That is, if we're coming from that place of running away, right? Again, running away rather than running toward, it's actually not sustainable in the long run. And so where you have power is whether or not you're going to act from that place, whether or not you're going to act out of fear. And that's the example that I gave in the last episode, talking to Heather, where, you know, for me at a certain point, I was actually in the middle of a workout when I realized the only reason that I'm doing this is because I feel like I need to be different. The only reason that I'm working out is because I feel like I need to be smaller. I need to burn calories. I need, and I was coming from a place of fear and that that's that's okay it's it's super valid and acceptable after you know what I had been through at the time but the reason I'm saying this is because your power is not necessarily around the thoughts going through your head in the moment or the feelings that are coming up a lot of the power that we have is whether or not you're going to act from that place and that's why I decided in that moment to um, wrap up my workout and and just choose not to perpetuate that because I knew, I knew that um, I didn't want to be acting that way toward and with myself. So again, this is why all of this work to me is really about turning toward yourself, reconnecting with yourself and ultimately reparenting yourself um, because that's what that was in that moment for me. And um, just, just another example of really how this can be integrated. Now, the last couple of things that I would like to share about love and fear is that when I talk about self-love and really all of this work around reparenting, I would say those are one and the same, right? Reparenting, parenting yourself both around food. So as we've talked about, like the division of responsibility, for example, you're buying the food, serving the food, eating the food, you are present in your meals and you are making them pleasant. Uh, that's reparenting on the physical dimension around food and eating. And then there's also the reparenting to do around our emotions, which is seeing, hearing, validating, and meeting with love the emotions that come up when we are, you know, just even just moving through life, um, but especially around our relationship with food. And so that's what it is, again, just as a reminder and a refresher that's what I mean when I say reparenting is being that responsible responsive parent not just physically but also emotionally and so all of this when I say your relationship with food is the mechanism through which you learn how to reparent yourself um, that's really the the way to do it is we're being mindful of the way that we're feeding ourselves and we're also being mindful of the way that we are coping with our emotions Um, but there's a few things I want to say about what that really means in, in a more specific way and what that means to me in our relationship with food, especially if you feel like you are in a, um, kind of stressful and compulsive, somewhat addictive relationship with food. Well, it can be helpful to think that self-love, a way that you can actually demonstrate and embody self-love is you're eating when you're hungry right so on one hand it's like yeah duh but think about that because for a lot of us if there's fear around food and there's fear around eating it's that emotional experience of fear gets in the way of us actually getting our need met 
And so even though it might be really scary and it might bring up a lot of fear, you're acting from a place of love when you eat when you're hungry. You're feeding your body. You're getting your need met. That's you being the parent that you need. The same is true, I believe, around not eating when you're not hungry. So instead of using food as a way to cope emotionally with whatever's underneath that, not eating when you're not hungry is another way that you can actually really demonstrate and embody love toward and with yourself is that instead of using food or drugs or alcohol, right? This could be said for anything is instead of using the substance or behavior to get out of the feeling, not eating when you're not hungry is just another way of you coming from a place of trying to be present with yourself. And that is ultimately uh, what all of us need is is presence and connection with ourselves. So I say that because that's how a lot of this applies in our relationship with food specifically. The other thing about self-love is when it comes to uh, eating quote-unquote healthy food, as I've said kind of in the last couple episodes, it's not always because you necessarily uh, feel like it. Um, just, you know, as I've shared with you before, how John Gabriel would sometimes say, like, eat food like it's medicine, especially if you're coming from a place where you haven't been putting that it's not your norm to be eating, you know, real food that comes from the earth. You just want to understand the context with which you're coming from, because if you're coming from that place where, you know, let's say fruits and vegetables are foreign to your system, uh, you may not feel like it. You may not feel like it. And your body will... Um, not necessarily reject it, but I mean, I, again, will speak for myself. When I first started eating salads and vegetables, I certainly did not want to, and I wasn't doing it because they were tasty. So sometimes it's just knowing, again, why you're doing what you're doing. And at that point, if you asked me, well, you know, if you don't enjoy a salad, why are you eating it, right? It wasn't intuitive eating by any means. It was because... Because feeding myself the way I've been feeding myself really isn't working for me anymore. You know, being in a body that is limited by its size and having struggle to, uh, struggling to move and walk and breathe and um, all of those things. So it was, it was not because I felt like it or because it was tasty or because it was rewarding or because I wanted to. <laughs> um, it was about the same... It was, the, you know, the same reason that I was eating pizza, even though I was so scared of it, was also the same reason that a year and a half before that I was eating salad, even though I didn't feel like it. There was a why. There was a purpose. There was a, you know, I knew where I was going, ultimately. And I think a lot of this work, and the same is true around addiction work, is it's not about in the moment, right? It's about what about after the moment, what about after just just that experience? So just knowing, again, that is sometimes um, not all pain and discomfort is bad or out of fear and self-loathing. As you've heard me say before, most likely, just because withdrawal is hard is not a reason to keep doing drugs. So no matter where you are in your relationship with food, whether it's eating the food that is scary or it's not eating the food that is scary, Ultimately, what we're talking about is moving through withdrawal and it's super valid and super okay and super appropriate 
if you're a human and you have a relationship with food that is emotional, which is to say you're a human. Um, so just just knowing that, that is just because you're doing the thing that is scary and hard doesn't mean that you are, uh, you know, against yourself. You can very much be on your own team and still um, putting yourself through an experience that is challenging. It's It really, really is exposure therapy. And lastly, I think this is just an important point that is, uh, especially as self-love has become a bit of a buzzword in in our culture and self-care has become like a sexy new thing, uh, I think it's important that we also clarify that self-love is not a destination, okay? Uh, you will have moments where you love yourself and then you'll also have moments where you don't love yourself. That's that's kind of how it goes. The same way that we all want to be happy and happiness is not a destination. Happiness isn't, is an emotion. It's an experience. So you will be happy and then you'll also be sad and then you'll be mad and then you'll be happy again, right? So the reason I say that is because I want to clarify that um, self-love is not about being there. Self-love is something that you can practice over and over and over and over again, one moment at a time over time. It is a practice of self-love. And the reason that feels really important around this conversation is because when you are eating when you're hungry, you're practicing self-love. When you are not eating when you're not hungry, you are practicing self-love. When you are experiencing and tolerating the discomfort of withdrawal, you are practicing self-love. When you are moving through the fear of exposure therapy for the sake of expanding your life and your comfort zone, you are practicing self-love. All of these things are you actually being in a place of self-love. And that, to me, is how we practice, not necessarily how we get there. And the last point that I want to make about this, which is really the same point reiterated in different words, is I always like to draw the connection between how all of this stuff is true around food, but it's not just true around food. Food is just one area where it's true or one example that we can unpack where it's true. But the same way I just said, you know, drugs and alcohol and gambling and cigarettes and sex and everything that can be addictive, which is everything that feels good, right? Even Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate talks about his own uh, experience with music addiction. And so anything, right? This is not just food and eating. And I think it can be really helpful to just uh, call that out and, and remind us that this doesn't actually operate very differently than anything else because what we're what we're really dealing with is the mind body soul system of the human being um and so the last point i want to make about it is when i say you know uh whether it's eating food or not eating food that is scary and triggering and activating for your system well sometimes right there is the value of doing something that doesn't feel good in the moment because you know where where you're headed and why you're doing it and so I like to just compare this to the same way that a lot of us don't quote unquote feel like journaling, right? You don't feel like journaling. You don't feel like meditating. You don't feel like meal prepping. You don't feel like it. <laughs> and that's okay. You don't have to feel like it. But you choosing mindfully to eat, again, quote unquote healthy food, you choosing to move your body, 
is not different than you forcing yourself to go to bed on time or taking yourself to the doctor or paying your bills or taking your car in for maintenance. None of those things you feel like doing, if you're anything like me anyway. Um, This isn't different. It's just another area of life where in the past you have operated from fear and used someone else as the authority, telling you that you should or shouldn't or have to or any of those things. But it's not the discomfort of the experience that is the problem. And it's not the uh, it's not the embodiment of willpower to kind of force yourself into doing something that is the issue. So I just want to shout that out. That is, you know, for me, <laughs> this has become really a struggle uh, more recently, I would say in the last few years with putting myself to bed on time. That is something that it's just I have to be the parent to myself when especially when you know I have nothing to wake up for early in the morning it's it is challenging to uh, use discipline and willpower to show up from that place of listen (laughs) I know that you don't want to do this right now I know that you don't want to go to bed I know that it would be fun to stay up for hours and I can't let you do that Like, I love you way too much to let you just stay up all night. Do you know why? Right? Because it's not about in this moment right now. It's about the fact that if I let you do that right now, you are going to feel so shitty tomorrow. And I just, ah, you know, I love you way too much to let you feel like shit tomorrow. And so I know it's uncomfortable and I know you don't want to. And I know sometimes it's dragging you, kicking and screaming into bed. But I have to be a responsible parent. And this is what it looks like. And so again, I'm just sharing that because we can use that same, what uh, Dr. Kristen Neff would call this uh, fierce self-compassion, right? It's not tender, it's fierce. It's sometimes you need to just show up and say, we got to do the thing, not because it's comfortable and not because we want to, but because we know that there are consequences to behaving one way and there are consequences to behaving another way. And it's safe. That's the point I'm trying to make here is that it's safe to have some healthy boundaries with yourself, not just around what time you're going to bed, not just are you going to your doctor appointments, not just are you taking your car in for maintenance, but are you putting the food into your body that you want? Are you moving your body the way that it wants to move and is designed to move? Because at the end of the day, it's all the same thing. It's the relationship you have with yourself and the energy with which you're doing what you're doing. And ultimately what I'm saying here, you guys, is that especially because we've talked now about the Venn diagram of health and weight. I think it's really, really important. And I've seen this, like sharing this on Instagram and stuff and just seeing the way that people respond to it. This is really important and a conversation I'm happy to talk more about. But ultimately, it's really about understanding that health, health, not weight, is also uncomfortable. (laughs) A healthy, balanced lifestyle does not, in my opinion, happen intuitively you will still be uncomfortable right any just like anyone who wants anything and has to exit their comfort zone and has to experience some discomfort this is not different and so the same way that for me a healthy lifestyle includes yeah balanced food and eating and movement and exercise but it also is sleep and making sure I'm drinking enough water and getting sunlight and connecting with people that make me feel safe like all of those things I actually have to be very mindful about I have to be very intentional about those things 
Because if I, and and this is someone who I, I will say this, that is, I feel personally, like I have a, I have a quote unquote very addictive personality. <laughs> and so if I leave it to what I feel like doing, do you know what I feel like doing? <laughs> Staying up all night, uh, eating whatever I want, like not just not necessarily being mindful. That for me is what I very often feel like doing. It's just I have to stay connected to how that's going to either benefit or uh, not my body, my future self, my overall well-being. And so I just say this again because I think the cultural narrative is that if you're coming from a weight-oriented mindset and you're so focused on the number and the size and the shape and all of those things, well, that feels really uncomfortable. Um, And if you're living from a place of health and uh, growth and expansion, that that is super comfortable all the time. And that, at least in my experience and in my belief, uh, that is absolutely not at all the way that it works. So I think there's a lot of freedom that can come from understanding that it's okay to be uncomfortable. You just have to know why you're doing what you're doing. And when you're coming from a weight mindset, that kind of discomfort is fear-based, right? That's running away from. But when you're building a healthy lifestyle and that kind of discomfort shows up, well, that's coming from a place of love. You're running toward health. You're running toward connection. You're running toward yourself. You're running toward overall well-being. And that's that's not always going to feel super good. You just know why you're doing what you're doing. And that makes all the difference in the world. So, my friend, that today, for today, concludes the conversation on love and fear. I really would... I really do invite you to uh, send me an email or shoot me a message on Instagram or anything. Just let me know. Um, let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you have any questions. I know that this is very often, like I said, an area where uh, there is a desire for more clarification or just continue the conversation. I know there's usually a lot of questions around this. So please, please feel free to contact me in some way if you you know, have any questions about this or want to talk more about it um, because I would love to know kind of just what goes through your head when you hear all of this. And having said all of that, as always, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. And please, if you have not yet, rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. And last plug for the next group program that's starting in two weeks there are still a few spots left. And if you're interested, please just follow the the link in the show notes and apply via my website and I will be in touch. And if you have any other questions, if you need anything else from me, if there's any way that I can support you, please do be in touch. Please feel free to contact me. Know that I love, love, love and so deeply appreciate you being here. And I will see you next time.